We are kicking off a series today that I'm pretty excited about. It's a series that I've been excited to, to, to bring to us. And I think for our church family, I've just seen many, many times that if the enemy is going to attack any key relationship in the church family, it's going to be marriages. It's going to be healthy relationships. It's going to be husbands and wives. And this series is something that I'm excited about because what we're trying to do here is trying to say no matter where you're at in the spectrum, whether you've been married a long time, maybe you're you know, recently widowed, uh, maybe you're, you're young and you're wanting to date and you're looking toward the future of that wonderful marital relationship, maybe you're back on the dating scene, no matter where you're at, I believe that God wants to do something in your relationships. In fact, I think what we all want is a healthy, lifelong relationship, one that's going to last for, for our lifetimes. And so no matter where you're at on the spectrum, I think this series is going to be super helpful on a number of levels, even for, for those of us who are married, that maybe, you know, when we, were, when we were dating and we were, you know, before we were getting married, we had these dreams of what our, what our spouse was going to be like. And then as we got into marriage, we realized this is not what we signed up for. And so no matter where you're at in the spectrum, I think God has some, some wisdom for us to have healthy, lifelong relationships. And I have a confession to make. I, I don't have a lot of uh, expertise on dating. I'm just going to be real, real with you. I mean, I'm that guy that didn't date a whole lot. I met Jackie pretty early, pretty young. Um, you've heard some of the story. We met in junior high. I know, uh, right, okay. We were high school sweethearts, I know, again, uh, okay. That usually doesn't work out, I get that. But I didn't do a lot of dating before I met Jackie. And, and we got married, you know, pretty young. And, and now we're next month celebrating 27 years. And that's awesome, thank you. I, but I realize, um, you know, I don't deserve that. I, there's nothing, I think, special in me that deserved that kind of a story. And for some of you, that's the story you want. You want that story. You want the 27 years or more than that. You know, some of you in this room were married way longer than that. That's the story that we want. But too often, I think, in culture and what Hollywood tells us, we get a distorted view of what healthy marriages, healthy relationships are like. You know what I'm saying? It's like we're, we're, we're watching these shows on Netflix or whatever, these romances, and you're like, Really? Does that work out anywhere else in real life other than on Netflix? You know what I mean? This is the distortion that we have. And so it's hard for us to to try to navigate what does it mean to have a lifelong love that can go that long. Well, by, By God's grace, I believe he does have some wisdom for us. We're starting the series Love Dates and Heartaches because I think truly, again, we all want a lifelong love. We want healthy, fun dates. You know, we want to honor the Lord with that, and we want to avoid as many heartaches as possible. And some of you in this room have had enough heartaches when it comes to relationships. And so I believe God has something to say to us on the idea of healthy relationships. And this, this, this subject, this whole thing touches on a, on a big burden that I have on my heart. You know, as a pastor, I've been in full-time ministry for 15 years, and as I said when we started, that if I've seen Satan, and I, I don't want to... I don't want to make it seem like you know, there's, a, there's a demon and an angel behind everything. Don't, don't push me on that. I, just, I feel like that Satan is a deceiver. And if he's going to attack anything, what I've seen over and over again is he's attacked the marriage. 
Because he knows if he attacks the marriage, a lot of other things start to fall apart. You know, for a lot of people, financial ruin or financial hurt. Kids. You know, I'm a child of a divorced family. I know exactly what that feels like. If Satan's going to attack anything, he's going to attack that marriage. And the burden that I have on my heart is that I see over and over again that people come talk to me or they do premarital with me or whatever they might do. And what's hard is that I see people constantly making decisions that undermine the health of their relationships. And you know what it is? Most of the time it's not, oops, they do it with their eyes wide open. They do it in a number of ways. But they're using decision-making and they're sabotaging the health of the marriage that they, or the relationship they really hope for. And that's, that's a burden and it hurts my heart. Sometimes I talk to people and I think, did you really think that through? You know, like, is, does that work out for anybody? And yet these are decisions that keep make, being made over and over again. And I think we have an opportunity in this series to maybe change some of that story. Because for many of you, and I've heard some bad stories re- recently about dating, about dating right now. Some of you are single right now, uh, whether you want it to be or not. Some of you are single. And I've heard some horrible stories about the current state of dating. Uh, the state of the union, okay, for dating is scary to me. And I, my heart goes out to some of you young people that are still out there trying to find that person. If you're single, no matter what age you are, trying to find that person. Because technology has not made this any easier. In fact, more and more people are meeting online through these different things and my heart goes out to you if that's where you are because those are hard situations it's hard to find someone many of us who are following jesus we're not going to go to a bar to find somebody you know i always thought if i had to be on the dating scene again i'd just hang out at like barnes and noble then they start closing them so i don't know what i'm going to do <clears throat> you know uh, what are you reading i'm reading you know i don't know that could that could work out but But my heart goes out to people that are trying to do that now and find a healthy follower of Jesus. That is a tall order, folks. And so my heart hurts. I have a burden on this series for all of us because I do believe we want to have healthy, lifelong love. And what I see over and over again is kind of this this merry-go-round of consensual hurt. And that seems to be the norm. And I don't think it has to be that way. And you think about this. When you're dating and you're hoping to have that lifelong love, you want that story like Jackie and I have of 27 years. When you're getting to that, you're young and you're trying to date for that, you're looking for that in the future, you want your story to be healthy by the time you tell it to your spouse. And too often, I think, in relationships, people are getting deep into relationships before they, before they realize all the junk that's happened before. And the thing is, I don't want, I don't want you, I don't want me, I don't want to have our, our life have a story that we're afraid to tell, you know? That I, I think there's a chance where we can maybe break the cycle of consensual hurt. And we can look toward not only living in healthy relationships, but helping other people pursue healthy relationships. Look, if you've been married a long time in here, I think one of our jobs is to help people with marriages. If we've had 20, 30 years, hey, the burden is kind of on us, y'all, to help people See how to have that healthy relationship, how to have that healthy marriage. That's a, that's a burden on my heart. So today, before we get started, I just want to say this to men in the room. And some of you are dating or single. I mean, some of you are married. No matter where you're at in the spectrum, let me just say this to men. we got to stop being hypocrites. Because what oftentimes, and I've heard this several times, where 
you know, men feel like they can kind of do whatever they want, but then when they get to that significant other, they want to make sure she's, you know, got everything together. So, so I've seen men who have been basically being adolescents who can shave, wanting to walk into a healthy adult relationship, and they've made mistake after mistake, but they want someone else to not have made those mistakes. That's hypocritical. Men, we're to be gentlemen, to treat people with respect, treat women with respect. That has power. That has weight. We show deference. We have humility. Now, women, don't allow yourself to be a commodity. You're worth way more than that. You're not a commodity. You're precious in the sight of God. You're a child, a daughter of the king. You don't need to put up with it. You don't need to put up with verbal abuse, physical abuse. That ain't, that ain't the way. You're way more valuable than that. You need that man who loves Jesus and treats you with honor, high honor. You're worth that. Too many, I think, people are wondering that they, don't, they feel like they don't have the, the deserving of honor. Yes, you do. So men... Don't be hypocrites. Women, don't allow yourself to be a a commodity. Today, as we get into this, I want to debunk two big myths that I think will help us, not only in dating and wanting to be dating, but also marriage. So let's let's pause for a minute and uh, let's ask God just to speak to us. Father, we come before you. We're here in this room together. We're in this gathering. Lord, I pray that your, your Holy Spirit would speak volumes to us about your design for not only relationships, but especially marriage and, and what that means for our legacy in the future. Father, would you speak to all of our hearts, soften us to what you have to say. May your truth be number one this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, there's a couple of, uh, a couple of myths that I want to do, two, just two myths, and this, this first one's a big one. And I've heard this before, and even in Christian circles, I went to Bible college, Christian college, and I heard this over and over again. In fact, in, in Bible college, they had this thing where it was like uh, there was a special deal, where it was a ring by spring or your money back. So I don't know if you've heard that deal with Bible colleges. I actually heard that at Corbin, and that's not that far away. I actually heard that walking through the uh, head in the chapel. I heard someone say that. So, but even in Christian circles, I have heard this myth that if I just find the right person, you know, my life's kind of been on mess, but if I just find that right person, you know, you know, I, I, everything will be what I need. They're going to they're gonna be my knight in shining honor. honor. They're going to be my princess. And so when I meet them, then I'll know. And everything will work out. You know, all my bad habits will go away, and, and then I'll, I'll stop being a jerk uh, uh, or uh, you know what I mean? This, this is a, this myth that happens is we find that right person. And, and maybe you've heard it another way. Maybe you've heard the whole term of soulmate. Anybody heard that term? Soulmate, soulmate, right? Uh, give me a break. Soulmate, give me a break. In fact, the, the married people in this room are like rolling their eyes right now. Right person. That is a myth, the right person. And the thing is, people will be dating and then they think they found that right person and then... That doesn't work out, and so they're looking for the next right person. 
And, and there's this endless stream of we just got to find the right person and then my life is going to make sense. You know, the rainbows and butterflies and unicorns are going to come out and we're going to have this beautiful marriage and we'll have any conflict and no financial stress. It's just going to be wonderful. But then they find they're unhappy with every right person they put in. Maybe the right person myth isn't right at all. Finding that right person. And I think it fuels the fantasy, right? I mean, this idea of falling in love, I mean, it sells albums. <laughs> it sells movie tickets. It makes you stream, endless streaming on Netflix and all those. We want that falling in love thing. We want that excitement and fun, and we're going to fall in love. And that's a, that's a good thing. The problem is people run from that to that to that, and they keep thinking, well, there just might not be that right person. If I just keep looking... I'm going to find him, and then we're going to fall in love. We, we keep doing this to ourselves, a pattern of consensual hurt over and over again because we're buying this myth that somewhere there's that one person on the globe of the 7 billion people that's that one person. And some of us in Christian circles, we do this. We'll say, well, we'll, we'll find that, that soulmate. We'll, we'll try to put spiritual terms around it. That we'll find that one person that God has his will for me. You ever heard that? God's will. We use that term all kinds of ways. Half the time, it's not even right. Oh, God's will. This person was God's will for me. I've heard people say that and then get divorced. Oh, so I guess God's will was wrong. We use those terms the way we shouldn't. This right person myth is not a healthy thing. Look, I truly believe that there are probably more than just one person on the 7 billion people on the planet that, that you could have a healthy, lifelong love with. There's not just this one right person that's going to make everything beautiful. And I realize that that doesn't sell tickets to every movie, but maybe there's a different path rather than finding that one person that's just going to make everything great. Think of the people that you know in your life. Think of the marriages that you see around you. The one right person. Does that make any sense at all? That there's just one right person. Now look, Jackie and I have been married a long time. And uh, when we were first dating, I was kind of wondering about this because I was in a Bible college. And I was wondering about, well, I don't know if she's the one for me. There's seven, other, there's seven billion people. I got to meet them all. I got to find these people because I'm looking for my soulmate. I'm looking for that and now, 27 years later, I'm realizing that we kind of learned to love each other. We kind of grew up together. In fact, do you know, I've heard people say this, you know, well, we were in love, but then, you know, things changed. You know, people, you know they changed. As if that's like a strange thing. Do you realize that if a biological entity doesn't change, generally that means it's going to die? Or it's already dead. We are living creatures. We're going to be changing. We're going to be growing. Jackie and I were 20 and 21 when we got married. We are not the same people now. So let that be part of that myth that we need to blow away. That right person myth needs to go away. But here's the second one. And I see this one too. And this is a sad one. But I see people say, well... You know, I'm going to make this promise. 
I'm going I'm to take this vow to love and cherish till death do us part. I'm going to take this vow and then we're going to throw this big party and that's going to seal the deal. Because once the vow and the party happen, you know, now we, we're, we're in this. Now we have, I have a spouse and so now things are going to work out because I've said the promise and now it's all going to work out. Have you ever seen this not work out? That after the great big wedding, do you know, this makes me sick, but do you know the average wedding in America, does anyone want to take a guess at what, at what the average wedding in America now costs? 15, 20,000? Higher. $36,000. I read that last year. Because we think, right along with that other dumb myth, that we just get a promise. We say the right vow. We make a commitment and it's all going to work out. That once, once it's on the signed on the dotted line, we sign that paper, then it's all going to work out. We have a party. We have a promise. The deal is, we know this. You and I can't promise our way into anything. Think of how many times we try to do that. I promise all you fill in the blank. We try to say we can do, we, we try to willpower our way into so many things and we just fall flat on our face. If you think that because you signed that dotted line, that somehow the marriage is going to be healthy and lifelong, you got another thing coming. Can the married people in this room say amen? It takes, it takes some doing. There's some work involved here. And the thing that's so weird is that we look at athletes, right? We look at athletes and, you know, at the top of their game, you know, they, they do these great achievements. You know, we got the Olympics coming up. They make these great achievements. And we see, like, the last little bit of their entire life. And they get the gold. What do we just not see? Rest of their life. We see these quarterbacks in the NFL. And we think, wow, they had a great, you know, high school. No, these, these, were, these were kids in five, six years old playing Little League, and we only see the very top. They could have promised all they wanted to, but they needed the work and the prep and the discipline to get, you can't just promise your way into anything. You see what I'm saying? You can't just say it's going to happen. It requires some oomph. It requires more than just a commitment. And I'll say this now, and you can send me a nasty email later. Commitment is overrated. Commitment is overrated because commitment means way more than a signature and a nod and an I do. Commitment requires so much more than just saying it on the dotted line. You know what I mean? The thing is, when we decide, and some of you are not married yet or you're hoping to be married or may want to be married again, the thing is, when we, when we say this vow and we say, I do, that makes us accountable, right? That, that just put us as accountable. Now we're accountable to our spouse. We're accountable. I put, I, it's legal. But that doesn't make us capable. We're accountable, but we're not capable. Like maybe, maybe we get to that spot and we really haven't worked on ourselves and we haven't actually tried to be a healthy person. And if we're a follower of Jesus, how is our relationship with Jesus and our, and our life of faith? There's all these other things that are involved in who we are. 
more than just saying, I do. And if we get to that point where we say, I do, and we've done none of the work, the discipline, to be the kind of people that can be healthy in a relationship lifelong, we're just saying, I do, and making ourselves capable, or we're making ourselves accountable, but we're not capable. And if we're accountable for something and we're not capable, it's going to make us miserable. And I've seen a lot of marriages in that spot. Does that make sense? I'm accountable, I'm not very capable, now we're miserable. And I think God wants us to avoid some of that. The key idea here, and this is the big one, is that you probably saw this coming. Our healthy relationship with Jesus Christ makes all the difference, not only in our lives, but in relationships and marriage. And I would contend the reason that Jackie and I are still married 27 years later is because we both have a healthy faith in Jesus, that he is bigger than us, and he's the one that calls the shots. Our relationship with Jesus, look, following Jesus, and this is just a principle that I want to keep talking about, but following Jesus makes us better. But following Jesus also makes us better at life. And that includes relationships. Look, even if you're not a follower of Jesus in here, what we're going to talk about here in a second is going to help you too. Some of you may be on that spectrum and you're not quite sure Jesus is your thing. I'm glad you're here. Awesome that you're here. But maybe you're like, well, I'd like some wisdom and maybe I'm not going to follow Jesus yet. But Jesus actually has help for you even in your pre-following Jesus journey. And it comes in John chapter 15. If you have a Bible or a device, find John chapter 15 there. You see, Jesus gave us one principle that I think is the relational game changer. It helps you become the person. Now listen to this. This one game changer principle helps you Become the kind of person, hear me now, this principle helps you become the kind of person that the person you're looking for is looking for. Did you catch that? This principle will make you the kind of person that the person you're looking for is looking for. Hang on to that. John 15. In John 15, If you'll notice there as it gets started, this is uh, kind of a little bit of Jesus' swan song, if you will, to his disciples. He's wrapping up his ministry. He's having some one-on-one time with his 12. Uh, He's giving them some some kind of final thoughts. Uh, The the chapter begins, as you see, with talking about vines and and branches and bearing fruit. And he's saying, hey, you guys got to stay connected to me. And that's how fruit is going to happen. You know, it can't happen any other way. You've got to stay connected to me. And, and it uses that kind of that grapevine idea, right? It uses that metaphor. That's, that's easy for us to understand because we look around Dallas and we see grapevines pretty much everywhere anymore. But we're, we're, the fruit happens because we're connected to the vine and the vine is Jesus Christ. So if we want to bear fruit, right? This is the conversation that, that Jesus is having. And then, and then he gets into verse 9 here. And that's where I want to kind of focus this morning. Verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. So abide in my love. Stay close in my love, right? If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things, I mean, doesn't it sound like he's wrapping things up? 
you know? Kind of that final talk from, from Jesus. Can you imagine have, having been in that room? They have no idea what's coming. Those 12 really don't know. Now, he's told them a few things, but they haven't really, it really hadn't clicked yet. So they're together, and he's kind of giving them these final thoughts. And I wonder if a few of them are kind of going, he sounds like he's wrapping things up. You know what I mean? Is John and Peter kind of leaning in saying, is he, he sounds like he's saying goodbye here. But he says in verse 11, these things I have spoken to you, that my, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. That's the kind of life that Jesus wants us to have, has some joy in it. Not temporary happiness all the time or seeking the next pleasure, the next pleasure. He wants a lifelong joy. And joy can even happen in suffering, which is crazy, but I've seen it. Joy may be full. This is my commandment. Here we go. You ready for this? This is my commandment. That you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one other than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You're my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends. For all that I've heard from my father and I've made known to you, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that fruit and your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, that you love one another. His one command, his one game-changing command, love one another. That's it? Just love one another? Now, I don't know what that means. Love one another. That can mean a lot of things. Love one another. But then he said, as I have loved you. Now, when he said this, that may not have made a lot of sense. I mean, the 12 could have been, okay, seems like a good thing. Love one another. Okay, that could could, could sell on a bumper sticker. We could do that, Jesus. Love one another. We got that. Love one another. But he says, as I have loved you. They didn't get this fully until a few days later when he's staring down at them from a cruel Roman cross. Then they went, oh. Love one another as I have loved you. Then his disciples understood the full weight of that. That this is the kind of love that we should love one another. And I would make the point today that if you want a healthy, lifelong love, that this is the kind of love we're talking about. A kind of love that puts someone else's needs above your own. And I know this isn't natural. Think about your natural tendencies. You you ever find yourself not saying something when you really want to say something? This self-control sort of thing? Our natural tendencies don't flow to love one another as I have loved you. We need the Holy Spirit's power to love as Jesus loved. Love one another. It's this self-sacrificing, put someone else's needs above your own. Think about this in relationships that you know. Some of you are, are no relationships that are going sideways right now. Can you imagine what would happen if the two people in that relationship or the two people in that marriage did what Jesus was talking about? put someone else's needs above their own. Can you imagine what kind of game changer that would play in their marriage? 
your needs above my own. But what do we do? Our natural tendency is get. I want to get my stuff. I want to get my needs met. We hear this all the time. I want my needs met. You know, I've seen people married for 50, 60 years. And that attitude will never work. I'm going to get my needs. I'm going to get what I need. That's not what I see in lifelong love that I've seen. Some of you in this room. It's not about what you need all the time. It's a self-sacrificing, put someone else in front of your own love. This is the game changer. If Jesus could speak to anything in our relationships, in dating, you know, it's that we love one another as he has loved us. The old St. Augustine, many, many centuries ago, said this, love and do what thou wilt. The idea is that love matters and love the way Jesus loved. A Jesus-like love is the only relational game changer that I know of. Some of us have been married a long time in this room, and some of us have been following Jesus for a long time. Can I get a witness out there of following Jesus makes a difference in a lifelong love? You see, because it's not what Ben wants, it's what Jesus showed. Jesus is the chief. He's the king. My definition of manhood doesn't come from what I see around Hollywood or even around this room. My definition comes from Jesus. And he told me one game changer. Love one another as I have loved you. That is the standard. I don't know that we'll ever get there. Probably many of us will never have to do that, okay? Jesus did that for us. But he gave us a model that we put someone else's needs above our own. Can you imagine what that would be like? Those of you who are dating right now or wanting to be dating, think about this. If the person that you're starting to get close to puts their needs above yours, run. You're worth more than that. Run. That's the kind of game changer that Jesus wants us to hear, not just for life, but for relationships. That's how you get a lifelong love. It's the game changer. Next weekend, we're going to unpack this because uh, there was another writer in scripture we call Apostle Paul. And he unpacked this whole idea of the one command. You know, Jesus said, love one another as I have loved you. Well, Paul, next week, we're going to talk about this. He's going to give us some fine print because in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul unpacks and kind of teases out what this means for us. So next weekend, We're going to lean in and talk about the fine print. The fine print that will make you and I fine. That's what we're talking about next week. I want to pray here for us in a minute, but before I do that, I just want to say, we've been talking about Jesus' one commandment, love one another as I have loved you. And he demonstrated that with his great love on the cross. If you're someone who's never made Jesus Lord, I would be remiss in leaving this message without giving you an opportunity. You can come talk to me, uh, see anybody up here on stage. Uh, We have people over here, Ron, he can help you. Tom's right here. If there's someone, you want to talk to somebody, don't leave this place without talking to one. Talk to one of our greeters, talk to Andrew back there. Jesus made it simple. We can be his follower by believing in who he is, who he says he is, trusting that Jesus is who he says he is, the Savior, repenting of our sin, confessing that he is Lord and we're not, being baptized and then living for him. Living is a a living sacrifice. If you've never done that, I encourage you to do that today. Uh, 
Uh, Let's pray together. Father, we come before you. We thank you for the opportunity to have in this place, in this planet, in our lifetimes. Thank you for the opportunity to have a lifelong love. Lord, it's powerful that we can model the love for each other just like you did for us on that cross. So Lord, help us now to love one another as we leave this place as you have loved us. And may that be the game changer for our lives and for our marriages and relationships. In Jesus' name, amen.